Hey everyone, welcome to Tax Cast with Chelsea, where I give you a small dose of interesting tax news and answer commonly asked tax questions. This week, let's review these three topics. The employer retention credits are providing some employers additional cash, but also risk for audit. Let's look at these few things to consider before hiring an accountant or external firm to file these amendments. Also, tax strategies for the almost retired. This topic is actually for everyone. You don't want to wait until you're retired to start planning. So let's discuss these tax strategies to think about before you take out Social Security or even taking your required minimum distributions. Lastly, TIGDA has released their new website and also have new features, which may actually help the IRS and taxpayers connect with the common purpose. That is carrying out a fair and impartial tax system. If you're a small business owner, then at this point, you've probably heard about the employer retention credits by filing amendments to your payroll firms. This temporary tax break also allows up to $26,000 per employee between the years 2020 and 2021. But it's also opened up the possibility for not only relief for many business owners, but also some potential audit exposure if not done correctly. The Wall Street Journal recently described some interesting details relating to this topic in an article published on November 13th. They discussed the pop-up ERC firms, their fees, lawsuits, and the fact that the IRS is gearing up to confront the potential fraud. They reported that the company Innovation Refunds, which actually had been around before ERC to help clients with other tax credits, they reportedly filed over 4,000 ERC filings already, which have totaled over $1.35 billion in refunds. They said they spend nearly $10 million a month right now on marketing. The IRS has reviewed over 450,000 claims through March, and there are 281,000 more to process as of early November. Since the IRS views this issue as potential for fraud, the Wall Street Journal article says they have trained over 300 revenue agents on the credit and how to examine. The IRS is sending the employer's request for proof for eligibility, asking for the list of employees and then other details that provide substantiation for their claim. They're also involving some of the criminal investigators to research these claims if they don't think that they are reported correctly. Depending on which firm you choose to file the amendments, the fees described in the article range from flat fees like $800 per filing and then others are charging anywhere between 8 and 35% of the refund. There is a pretty large range of fees, and it's really about how large the potential refund could be and then the structure of the business and how they charge. Interestingly, the ERC Gold Rush has actually spawned some lawsuits and differences of opinion in how to file and who is eligible. According to the Wall Street Journal, the Marywood University of Scranton, Pennsylvania sued Synergy Partners in June claiming that the tax credit firm had told them they would get more than $6 million, and they sent an invoice for the first half of it of $901,000 fee. Marywood's outside accountant said that the university wasn't eligible, so there was some clear conflict of what they could get and what they couldn't get. Synergy said that there was a difference in opinion regarding Marywood's accounting firm, and the suit has recently been dismissed, but Marywood said that there was a mutual resolution with terms that they wouldn't disclose. Ashley Hogsett, the chief legal officer of Synergy Partners, said regarding the matter, our position as a company is, look, if you don't feel good about this, we're not forcing you to take the credit. The lawsuit reveals the trust and uncertainty related around these credits and if they can be substantiated. Perhaps what many people don't realize is that by receiving this credit, 
it is then reported as income and technically requires an amendment of a prior year tax return. If the ERC is being processed by a separate firm other than the regular tax accountant, then there may be additional fees charged by the tax accountant to refile the tax return to show the additional income. Also, by increasing taxable income in a prior year, you may have to refile the individual tax returns if they receive K-1s through their pass-through ownership. This could also cause an increase in income taxes plus penalties and interest for the late payment and thus reducing the credit's benefit. Regardless of who is filing for the ERC, it is the employer's responsibility to keep records of all support for the claim because IRS now has allowed five years to audit these payroll returns under the American Rescue Plan Act. Not to mention that when you amended income tax return, this also lengthens the time of audit for three years. These are just some of the things to keep in mind as part of the excitement of getting free money from the government. For the employers that qualify, the criteria to substantiate the filing is not difficult once the fact pattern has been established. And remember to ask for a copy of that support along with your copies of the amendments for good record keeping. All right, now let's talk about tax planning that is not just for year in, but can be applied anytime. Our firm typically updates clients on current federal and state law changes as we move through the year, but it is worthwhile to think about the long-term strategy as part of the estate planning. The majority of individual clients in our firm over the age of 50 often discuss what's next, like income before retirement, then retired but not taking Social Security, and then possibly taking Social Security but not ready for their RMD, which is the required minimum distribution on IRAs. And then finally, when they reach 72 and get a little bit more focused on the estate planning side and determining which assets they want to leave their beneficiaries. So I want to focus on a few key strategies to consider if you're starting to think about retirement and the impact on taxes. Remember, everything I'm suggesting should be reviewed with your financial advisor and your estate attorney to find out which situation best applies to you. Strategy number one, let's talk about Roth conversions. This is converting pre-tax retirement like your IRA and paying the taxes now so that it can grow tax-free in a Roth account. I understand this might not jive with everyone's tax bracket right now, but it is a good option to think about by paying the taxes now on some IRA money, which you think will be lower than rather than in the future. This is the whole premise and assumption that after 2025, when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Acts expire, there will be higher tax rates since the tax rates are set to revert back to the old 2017 rates unless Congress intervenes. However, if you're still working and maybe your spouse has retired or is not working and thus potentially dropping your current year income into a lower tax bracket and then maybe your tax bracket is under 20% or your effective tax rate is under 20%, then this might be a good year to consider doing a Roth conversion on your IRA. A good advisor will walk you through the scenarios and finding the optimal amounts. The biggest benefit of this strategy is by doing it for multiple years before you have to take out your RMD then you could potentially be shifting more money into that tax-free no RMD bucket and thus reducing your future RMD. As a side note, I know there are many CPAs out there whose only objective is to pay as little as tax as possible for their clients in the current year. But as a tax professional, this is short-sighted on the CPA's part, and I encourage your tax advisor to work with your financial advisor in developing a long-term strategy for tax planning and not just a current current year strategy. Strategy number two, drawing down your IRA bucket before taking Social Security. 
Many people do not want to touch their IRAs until they've reached age 72 and thus deferring paying taxes as long as possible, but that might not always be the best tax or estate planning tool. Again, our assumption is that these next four years are some of the lowest tax brackets that we will see based off the historical analysis. It seems most of my clients who don't need to take Social Security right now upon retire right away, they like to wait until they reach full retirement age or age 70 to receive the higher Social Security benefit amount. The bigger question is what you can do with your IRA buckets before you draw on your Social Security or even before taking Medicare, which is age 65. The gap between your last working year and taking Social Security can allow you to either withdraw money from your IRA, pay the taxes, and then put the money in a non-qualified account or even doing a Roth conversion. Again, the whole idea is that you think you're going to be paying less taxes now rather than the future when you turn 72 and you're forced to take out of that money out of your IRA, which at that point, when you take money out of your IRA and you're on Social Security, more than likely your Social Security is going to be taxed. Your income tax return also determines how much your Medicare rates will be in the upcoming year, so keeping your income tax low will also help that calculation. Strategy number three, paying down your debt. I'm sure there are many that will argue with me that the returns in the market are better, or at least used to be, than the debt on the assets. However, I'm going to say from a pure anecdotal observation of my clients who are debt-free by the time they are retired, they seem to be the most free and the most generous. Without debt, their decisions are not constrained by market activity, which allows them to be more relational with their family and their passions. Not having to make monthly payments, also gives them more flexibility to determine when and how much to draw from their retirement accounts, as well as being more comfortable when the markets contract. Lastly, and my personal favorite, is the qualified charitable distribution out of your IRA rather than taking a distribution first and then giving it to charity. Normally, distributions from an IRA are taxed when received. With a QCD, however, these distributions become tax-free as long as they're paid directly from the IRA to an eligible charitable organization. You also want to get a receipt acknowledging the gift from your IRA from that charity. However, you can't start doing this until you're age 70 and a half out of your IRA, and then you're also limited to $100,000 a year. For tax purposes, you will get a tax form 1099-R, like normal, showing the total distribution from the IRA in box one of that form. There is no special code for QCDs, And like other IRA distributions, the QCDs are shown on line four on Form 1040. When you put the QCD in the tax software, it will enter the word QCD on line four and then show the remaining taxable portion on line 4B. Here's an example. Lucy is 71 and decides to take $40,000 out of her IRA for personal expenses and also has the IRA trustee send $10,000 to her favorite nonprofit animal shelter. Her 1099-R would say $50,000 as the total distribution. However, she shows her tax advisor the letter she received as a receipt, thanking her for her gift out of her IRA. The tax preparer would then enter the total 1099, but mark $10,000 as a QCD. Lucy only pays taxes on $40,000. On top of that, for 2023, as a single filer, Lucy also gets her typical standard deduction, which will actually be $15,350. So in essence, it's like she got a charitable deduction as well as receiving the standard deduction. Remember, 
If you leave your IRA to a beneficiary, say your 30-year-old granddaughter, she will not be able to have the same benefits to give out of that IRA and not pay the taxes. So many people try to leave the Roth IRAs or non-qualified accounts, homes, or other appreciated assets to their beneficiaries, while at the same time drawing down the tax accounts like an IRA. If you plan to give more later in life, then giving through a QCD is a really great tax benefit. You might ask yourself why you even speak on the topics of TIGDA. Again, that's the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration. I find that the information provided from the reports are fascinating because it reveals the efficacy of the programs that our tax dollars are employed to deliver on congressional promises. It was established in 1999 under the IRS Restructuring and Reform Act, and is supposed to provide professional audit, investigative, and inspection and evaluation services that promote integrity and efficiency in the administration of the nation's tax system. It's the back-end program review that no one else talks about. In fact, it was only just a few years ago that I even heard about TIGDA at an IRS symposium, which makes me believe that most people don't even know that this kind of oversight even exists. Since the information on efficacy should be known, this is why you will hear me describe the reports on this podcast no matter how tedious. The information is available and therefore I will discuss it. So very quickly, what has changed on their website? Well, on November 18th, they added some new features which allow everyday citizens to interact with the agency to report information. Overall, the TIGDA website has been used to find their audits and investigative reports regarding tax programs and adherence to system protocols. However, these new features allow more interaction by allowing people to submit forms to report information like there's a hotline form to allow for easier reporting of waste and fraud and abuse both internal to the IRS and for taxpayers. Subcategories found under this section include bribery attempts, tax preparer fraud and miscontact, IRS employee crime, threats, and more. Reading through these types make it clear that the IRS has to sift through a hot mess of fraudulent attempts, which is why they added this report form. There is also a page dedicated to IRS scam resources. The IRS reminds you that they generally contact people by mail, not by phone about tax matters, and as a side note, You can make sure your address is current with the IRS by sending them a Form 8822. Instructions on the form make it clear where to mail. They also link to their TIGDA video channel, which they have three videos. One is a scam alert in Spanish, which got more views than the English one. And then the last video, their third and final video, was created 12 years ago and looks more like government propaganda that I would have watched in school in the early 90s telling us how important the Treasury Inspector General is. So if you have six minutes of your life to spare and a glass of rosé, I say go for it. Also, there is a hiring resource page. You can find that at usajobs.gov if you want a government job. There's also a streamlined reports page that has better search functions, like the ability to search TIGDA's work based on IRS-related legislation. That's kind of cool. Lastly, and my personal favorite, a new audit suggestion form allowing stakeholders to provide future ideas on audit work. Overall, I think adding forms to encourage engagement might reveal some interesting opportunities for the IRS. Considering their personnel challenges, maybe getting information and suggestions from the front lines will actually promote a more efficient direction on their part and also encourages tax reporting integrity. Thanks again for listening, and you can find today's links in the show notes below from today's podcast. If you like this podcast, then please hit subscribe and add a five-star rating so that other people can find this podcast and listen too. 
Feel free to connect with me and let me know your ideas for a future tax cast.